On this week's Adam Schefter Podcast, it's week 14 of the NFL season, and that means it's time for coaching changes. And the Carolina Panthers made one Tuesday afternoon, firing Ron Rivera as their head coach and promoting Perry Fuel, the secondary coach, to interim head coach. The Panthers offensive coordinator, Norv Turner, now will transition to special assistant to the head coach, while the quarterback's coach, Scott Turner, will serve as the Panthers offensive coordinator. And the Panthers owner, David Tepper, will immediately commence his search for the next head coach of the Carolina Panthers. And these are not expected to be or likely to be the last changes that he will make. You have to figure that these coaches there on staff obviously know that their time is coming to an end in Carolina. You would think the same of the general manager, Marty Herney, who's a great man who used to work at ESPN, who we've had great respect for for a long period of time. But changes have come to Carolina, and that's usually the case once we get past Thanksgiving. I always say hunting season begins at that point. So it is with disappointment that we see Ron Rivera, a great man, let go in Carolina. As for this week's podcast, we are joined by the man who made the game-winning kick on Sunday to beat the San Francisco 49ers, the most accurate kicker in NFL history, Baltimore Ravens perennial Pro Bowl selection, Justin Tucker, who talks about what it's like to make a kick and what it's like to sing opera, which he actually does. And we'll be joined by the former first-round draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys, a man who has gone on to a great career at ESPN, does radio in Columbus, Ohio with 97.1, Bobby Carpenter, my friend, my colleague, somebody I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and we'll preview week 14 of the NFL season with ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. But first, the great opera singer, Justin Tucker. Uh, joining us now, the Ravens' two-time Pro Bowl selection, a three-time first-team All-Pro kicker, Justin Tucker, who made the game-winning kick on Sunday against the 49ers, a 49-yarder with no time left on the clock, which just happened to be his ninth career game-winning field goal with either no time left in the fourth quarter or an OT. Justin, what is it like to walk out there under those circumstances in those weather conditions with the wind whipping, the rain falling, everybody counting on you? What is it like to kick a kick like that at the end? You know, more than anything, it's uh, it's. I look at it as an opportunity. Uh, you know, it's a blessing just to have the opportunity in the first place, and then uh, you know, making the most of it, just putting the ball through the uprights, is obviously the goal. Um, you know, so as exciting or scary or whatever it may be, uh, the only important thing is you know those 1.3 seconds between the snap, the hold, and the kick, and. Uh, you know, just getting the job done. All the feelings, all the emotions, um, you know, acknowledging that they're there, then putting them away and uh, recognizing that the only thing that matters is getting the job done, um, you know, has certainly served us well, and it did uh, this past Sunday. But do you feel any nerves when you go out there? Any nerves? Oh, absolutely. Every single kick, whether it's a PAT in the first quarter or a uh, walk-off game winner, uh, yeah, I'm definitely feeling the nerves. I'm feeling the butterflies. Um you know, there's a, uh, I mean, there's a human element to this game, and you know, as much as we try to make ourselves seem like machines, uh, it's, you know, it's part of it. You're going to be emotional and excited and scared and nervous, uh, confident, all of those things. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm very fortunate to have Morgan Cox and Sam Cook throwing the ball and spotting it 
so I can just take that out of the equation and, you know, not even have to think about that. Um, you know, like I'm sure some other guys do. I mean, I don't have to think twice about the snap or the hold being there. Uh, I just have to think about getting my studs in the ground with my plant, swinging out up and through and putting the ball through the posts. So, uh, you know, trying to keep it as simple as possible in those moments uh, is certainly important, but it's uh, one of those simple is not easy kind of things. Well, simple is not easy, and you're doing it in the rain. Does the rain make it that much worse? Does it make that much difference to a kicker? I mean, here we are watching from home, and I would think ordinarily making a 49-yard field goal to win the game would be challenging enough, but then you introduce another element like the rain coming down. How does that factor in? Yeah, so I've said for a while that our stadium, M&T Bank Stadium here in Baltimore, is, uh, in my opinion, the toughest place to make kicks in football. Um, wow. You know, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that to like pump ourselves up or anything because we happen to play here more than anybody else, but um, you know, it just it's a tough place to get the ball to go through the uprights. Uh, we've got you know wind that'll swirl around in there in really unique ways. That's tough to figure out. Uh, this time of the year, it starts getting colder, and the ball just simply does not travel as far. Um, I think that's ideal gas law, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, yeah, you factor in the you know the wind, the rain, the field conditions. When it's raining, really more more than anything, the the footing gets affected. So, uh, on that 49 yard field goal to win the game, uh, where the ball was spotted at the 39 yard line on the left hash, the the footing was. Uh, certainly less than ideal. So, you know, just trying to slow everything down just a little bit, uh, be light on my feet. Uh, that's, you know, that those are the adjustments that we have to make uh, to just get the ball to go through the posts. And is it more of a relief when you make it or more of a victory? I mean, it's, it's both, you know, it just, it depends on what time of the day when you ask me, like as soon as the ball leaves my foot and I see that it's going through Sam and I, you know, we all know it's going through. We're elated. We're excited. We're pumped. Uh, And then, you know, along with that pretty shortly thereafter. Yeah, absolutely relieved that, uh, you know, as, as crazy as it sounds, I get more nervous after hitting a a big kick like that (laughs) than when I'm lining it up in the first place. Cause I think about, you know, uh, man, what if that didn't, what if that didn't go our way? And we've, you know, I've, I've, I say I, like we make kicks and every once in a while I happen to miss one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been on the, you know, the opposite end of where we were, you know, and where, where we currently are, like, you know, this past Sunday and this week. I've been on the opposite end, on the opposite side of that, and it totally sucks. But, uh, <laughs> you know, just like, the, you know, the, the same approach will be taken this week after hitting a big kick that I, you know, would take after uh, missing one here or there or, uh, you know, making several in a game, it's, you know, it's always, you know, taking it one kick at a time. My, you know, my agent, Rob Roach, he told me that coming out of college, he said, listen, man, the the best way you're going to give yourself a chance to make a team is just by taking it one kick at a time. And, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly served us well these past uh, seven plus years. You know, I remember that look on your face when you missed your first extra point, and I'm not trying to bring up a bad memory or anything, Justin, but the look of shock on your face was incredible. You remember that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, man. Uh, yeah, I mean that that particular kick, man. Uh, it's it's one of those. I I still 
I still try to figure that out. I think about it every single day. Um, still, you know, as much as I try, as much as I try not to, I think about that every single day, and I also think about, um, you know, in a in a in a football context, I think about all the things that we have done well over the years, and you know, when you add it all up, uh, you know, things things look pretty good for the Ravens Wolfpack, and uh, they yeah. will continue to do so. Yeah, two two missed extra points. Um... Altogether, I mean that that's pretty good, Justin. One hundred seventy-five, one hundred and seventy-seven. I mean, that that's pretty good. Uh, yeah, but you know, it's not a hundred. Uh, <laughs> and you remember the two misses more than the one hundred and seventy-five makes. I mean, I think if you ask any, I think if you ask any kicker that's played long enough, you know, you ask the, you know, the the Adam Vinatieri's and the Stephen Guskowski's and you know the guys that have uh, played at a high level for a long time. You know, a lot of us are kind of driven by. Uh, you know, that uh, somewhat cynical side of, you know, that somewhat cynical perspective of, you know, pr- you know, you want to prove to yourself more than anything that you can do it, that, you know, you can make kicks. And, you know, those uh, those ones that happen to get away from you, they, they have a way of just sticking with you for whatever reason. Um, at the exact same time, you know, balance is important and, uh, you know, reflecting – after the season when, you know, the time is right, um, you know, reflecting upon like the, you know, the, the ones that get away from you uh, along with the good times, uh, that's also important. Now, after the game, after you made the kick, you came in and you said this. I feel like in the spirit of my teammates who have been up here to talk to you guys the last few weeks, I should say something like real inspiring, like big trust. <laughs> and I'll open it up for questions. <laughs> Now, that was a take upon what Mark Ingram said, so you'll have to forgive me. Obviously, you guys are lobbying for your quarterback, Lamar Jackson, to win MVP, and he doesn't need a lot of support, I don't think, at this point, even though there are four weeks left in the season. But what does big trust mean? What is that? I wish I could tell you, uh, <laughs> like, with some level of confidence, but, uh, uh, you, know, I, you know, I can tell you what it means, what it means to me, to, to all of us. I at least give you my best guess. You yeah. know, I, really more than anything, I'm just trying to fit in. Like I'm the I'm the thirty I'm the thirty year old dad now, so you know I'm like not I'm, I I don't think I ever was cool, and I'm definitely not cool now. Uh, I believe the translation would uh, you know be something along the lines of you know trust that you know when I say something I'm going to do it. You know I think that's I think that's what it stems from. So you know Mark added the. Uh, the B.I.G. in front of it, and now we've got, you know, I, I mean, hey, you know, I think uh, Lamar, Mark should definitely capitalize, start like a, you know, maybe maybe as a part of like New Era Aid Apparel, there should be like a big trust collection that, that should be dropping soon. So, that I mean, that, that's just my opinion. I think that would be a great move. Well, you're saying you're a 30-year-old, you know, uncool dad, and I'm a 52-year-old uncool dad. In fact, I even said to my producer, Travis, before, I said, are they saying big trust or big trust? Like, what are they saying? I don't understand because I'm not cool enough to understand. Yeah, I believe the spelling is trust, like with three S's or more, <laughs> depending on how tr- how trusty you're feeling. Uh, I mean, I would even say that you could uh, swap out any or all of the S's for dollar signs, and I think that would make plenty of sense. Uh, uh, but again, you know, this I'm just I'm speculating. Um, yeah, I, I, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I believe that's how it's spelled. Now, let's just get past the big trust issue. What has it been like to be around and watch Lamar Jackson this season? It's really incredible. Uh, you know, he's playing at an MVP level, and we all know that. The whole world knows that now. 
what what really stands out to me as a you know as a guy who's been around for for a couple minutes now, um, you know I've been fortunate enough to play on some very very good uh, championship Ravens football teams. Right, uh, Lamar is leading this team. Uh, you know, like like you know you would you would expect and like you would want from the you know the quarterback of your team, right? Um, and not only is he leading this team, but he's playing at such a high level. And uh, I mean, I can't say, I, I don't think anybody around here can say enough positive stuff about him, but you know, the, the, maybe it doesn't necessarily stick out as much as just, you know, his performance, but his passion. Um, he cares so deeply about winning and playing well and producing. Uh, and that mentality just uh, permeates through the whole locker room in a, a really you know, like a really significant, tangible way. Like, you know, any any single guy at any moment knows that we could be called upon to make the play to win the game. And that mentality, you know, it, it starts with guys like Lamar, guys like Earl Thomas, guys like Marshall Yonda. And I, it, and the, the thing is, I, I just, you know, I, I drop a couple of names, but I could probably name everybody in our building and uh, everybody feels the same way. When did you know that Lamar was different? I could probably point to, you know, a couple dozen plays that he makes where every single one you're like, wow, that was unbelievable. Like, I've never seen anybody do that before. I mean, I, I think it's every single – it seems like every single game that we play, he has one of those Chris Berman type of plays. I, I, I should probably try that again. He has Give one of those up. Chris Berman type of plays that, uh, you know, just totally – like totally, you know, electrifies the stadium. Uh, you know, it totally electrifies our sideline. Uh, so I, I, it, it's hard to even pick one moment. There's there there are so many p- big plays that he has made and he is responsible for. Every single one of them. It's you know, it's it's almost shocking how he continues to do exactly that. Can you ever do opera in a Chris Berman voice? I know you sing opera. I mean, is that possible? Like, could you sing? Oh, Holy Night or Ed Marino or anything like that in the Chris Berman voice? Like, could you do that? Not on this podcast. <laughs> no way I could convince you to try that? You got to, you got to, uh, there's a fee for that. <laughs> Can you give us some sort of sample, not in a Chris Berman voice, of what is your favorite verse to sing, a little go-to, so anything like that that could give the viewers who don't realize how superb you are at singing opera a little taste of your special unique talents? No, man, I can't do that. I gotta, uh, I gotta keep the cards close to the chest on that one. Are, are you, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I think I'm, I, I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a musical act here. Um, yeah, I can't come up with one, but you know, I'll just pop up like once every, you know, couple of years, and uh, you know, I'll do like a like a flash mob style performance. So you know, I, I think we're like a, a couple years removed from the last one. So you know, I think. Uh, in the next several months, one and, should definitely be popping up. Yeah, and for those who don't know who are listening, Justin sings opera in seven different languages, English, Spanish, French, German, Italian, Latin, and Russian. You performed at the Catholic Christmas Festival at the Baltimore Basilica in 2015 and 16. Any performances coming up here soon, Justin? Nothing formally on the schedule right now, but uh, but stay tuned. Stay tuned? For, stay tuned for what? I, that's all I can say at this point in time. All right, if you could sing opera at one venue in the world, what would it be, Justin? Ooh, man. Uh, you know, I'd, I'm, I think I'd have to say Carnegie Hall just because uh, it's, you know, 
like it, it's so storied and historic and uh, you know, how many, however many great acts have come through there for, for years and years. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Carnegie for sure. But that has never happened before, correct? It has not. Yeah. And before I let you go, I would be remiss in not asking, this is Adam Vinatieri's 24th NFL season. Uh, you, I believe, are in your eighth season out of Texas. You are the most accurate kicker in NFL history, connecting on almost 91% of your field goals. How much longer do you want to do this with opera and fatherhood and life beckoning? You know, it's one of those, you put one foot in front of the other type of things and you see how long you can, you know, ride this gravy train with biscuit wheels, man. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just happy to be here. Uh, and, uh, I'm having a great time. And as long as I'm having a good time kicking footballs, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep doing exactly that. I think my, my wife's deal with, uh, how long I should play is, uh, I should play and play and play until uh, I come home one day and I'm like, you know, hey, I'm really thinking about hanging it up. What do you think? And then uh, it'll be th- at that day plus one more year. <laughs> and add it on. Yeah. Listen, we, we are fortunate to watch you. And I will say this, Justin, when you are ready to make that big time stay tuned announcement on your next opera performance or whatever it is involving your next chapter in your opera career, you have an open invitation to come onto this podcast to make that announcement anytime you want. That sounds like a plan. I feel like the tweet that would accompany that would be, Shorsage close to the Ravens have confirmed <laughs> that Justin no, Tucker just... is planning a spectacular performance at Carnegie Hall. Stay tuned. Well, actually, I think it would be Justin Tucker revealed on the Adam Schefter podcast that he's performing at Carnegie Hall, fulfilling a lifelong dream for the first time. There you go. That's, hey, that's a great tweet. The something thumbs are working. Like, yeah, something like that. I mean, that just... You know, that that's my old newspaper mind, you know, coming up with a lead on deadline, just whacking it out of my head there, and, and that's how we do it. And whatever the news is, the opera news, I, I think that would be incredibly compelling. So like I said, you have an open, open invite to reveal that news here anytime you want. You just let your PR guy, Chad Steele, know you're ready to make your big announcement, and uh, we will have you on here to make it another big announcement other than Big Trust. You you got it. That sounds like a plan to me. Hey, Justin, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on the game-winning kick, and lots of luck with the rest of the season. You got it. Thank you. Although, I will say, I'm playing against you in the ESPN Fancy Playoffs this week, so if you want to miss one field goal from me for a minus Don't point you put that opponent. evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> no way. I'm gonna, I, hope, I hope whoever's playing you smokes you now. <laughs> There's the Pro Bowl kicker, Justin Tucker. And before we get to the ESPN analyst, Bobby Carpenter, Talking about Ohio State, the Dallas Cowboys. First, a word from Vivid Seats. We all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team. With the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program, you can attend the concert or show of your choice and earn credit towards your next live event. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. All you need to do is use the Vivid Seats app to purchase tickets and start earning today. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime 
and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code ESPN25 for 10% off your next order. That's promo code ESPN25 for 10% off. Uh, joining us now, my friend, my colleague, the former NFL linebacker, now ESPN analyst who hosts a daily radio show out of Columbus, Ohio that I've tuned into every now and then, Bobby Carpenter. Bobby, long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, this is uh, pretty exciting, man. I appreciate it. First time, long time. <laughs> First time, long time. Thanks very much for the time today. A lot of stuff to go over. First thing I want to ask you about is, what is it going to take for my school to beat your school in college football? Oh, goodness, Adam. And when you look at this, this is 20 years now in the making. And, gosh, I grew up in a much different era where, you know, Ohio State was always great rolling into the you know the final week of November. And then usually that was spoiled by the Wolverines. And so... I don't know, that paradigm flipped at some point, like probably starting in about 2001. And at then, I don't think anybody realized kind of where the tide was going to go. Uh, you know, there's been some stuff that's been put out there. Three things that I think, um, you know, when I've looked at this, for Michigan to beat Ohio State, you know, come moving forward, you know, they've got to recruit better, they've got to develop better, and yep. then better in-game coaching adjustments. And I saw some stats. The recruiting is, is pretty close. And so I guess it just looks to the development then at that point about the number of like first and second round picks each school has had over the last 10 years. And that's where I think that separation has begun to happen. So the recruit, I didn't realize that because everybody's screaming for Jim Harbaugh. And I would say to me, I don't think that's the issue. You know, Mike Greenberg pointed out a stat before the numbers that Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke posted at Michigan, the records. And Jim Harbaugh is so much better than them that sometimes the expectations are out of whack. And I just thought, well, maybe they're not recruiting as well. But you think it's related to in-game adjustments and coaching? Uh, Hembo, Paul Hembakitis put out this stat. From 2016 to 2019, four- and five-star recruits for Ohio State, 69. Four- and five-star recruits for Michigan, 71. Wow. First- and second-round draft picks, 18 for Ohio State, only four for Michigan. And so I look at that. I don't necessarily think that's the Jim Harbaugh thing. I think that it, the problem is, like, it's probably development piece, and a lot of that comes like from in the weight room and the guys that touch the players year-round because it's not the head coach. It's not the position coaches. I mean, that's that's the training staff, and that's really the, the strength staff to be able to develop those guys and maximize their ability. Where does this Ohio State team rank to you in terms of the great ones that have come along in recent years? I think this team is as talented as probably the 2014-2015 class. Uh, that came through there, and you're talking about you know, Ezekiel Elliott, who's you know a Pro Bowl player, one of the best running backs in the NFL. You got Michael Thomas on that team, who is breaking every receiving record. You had Joey Bosa on that team, who was Defensive Rookie of the Year. I mean, that was just absolutely loaded uh, with talent. And I think this team has a lot of those same ingredients, and I would say it's just as good as that team. And that team, to me. It's tough to compare eras, but of the last 15 years, I would say that team is probably the best one that Ohio State's fielded. You know, I remember being at the Combine a few years back when Eli Apple was there. And I remember talking to him at the Combine and saying, who's the one guy with all the talent that you go to school with that, in your mind, is going to be the best pro? And he didn't hesitate, and he turned to me and he goes, Michael Thomas, who wound up going in the second round of the draft. And Eli Apple was right. Michael Thomas has turned out to be an unbelievable pro. On this, What's that? Quick story about that, Adam, because yeah. I get to watch those guys. Man, I head over to practice. I mean, Eli Apple was a first-round draft pick. And my, you know, Michael Thomas, I think, was the fifth or sixth receiver taken top of the second round. Michael Thomas used to abuse Eli Apple in practice. 
abuse him. And like Eli will tell you that. Like Michael Thomas is the most competitive guy in the world. He would catch the ball, you know, almost every single time on Eli, throw the ball at him, talk trash to him. And Eli's a quiet guy. I mean, I was worried that it was going to, like, break his spirit because Mike is one of the most competitive guys that you will find play in, play out. I've never played anything with Michael Jordan, but to me, like, hearing the stories, the only guy I I know that's comparable to that is Michael Thomas. Well, I was going to say to you on this current team that you say the talent stacks up to the one from 2014. Who's the one guy in your mind that's going to be an unbelievable pro from this class? And I guess the easy answer is going to be Chase Young, so I'm hoping you don't say him. I could say Chase Young. Uh, one of the things that I talked to some scouts that come through and you know, playing for a number of different teams, you get to know guys as they, they come through, they'll ask you your opinion, guys on a personal level. And I had someone tell me that they thought Chris Olave, the receiver who's a sophomore who had bust on the scene last year against Michigan, that he was maybe the most talented player on that team. And that included Chase Young. That included uh, just you know uh, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, uh, the two receive, uh, DBs they have, and you know Wade Nakuda and all these guys. Like they thought he might be the best. So I will say, based upon that and watching him play and develop, that this guy could be the best out of all of them. Well, how about that? That that that's saying something. Now the other team that I wanted to ask you about is uh, you had a, a a rather lengthy NFL career. What seven seasons? Seven years. Seven years, and you started out by being the uh, first-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys in 2006, 18th overall pick. You were in Dallas from 2006 to 2009. So I'm sure you have some unique insight into what's going on there. What is your take on everything that's transpired here with the Dallas Cowboys over the course of this and recent seasons? You know, it's it's tough because, you know, I would say this. You know, if you look at Jerry and, you know, what he's done. Jerry Jones is a great owner. Guys love playing for him. I really enjoyed playing for him. He's a great marketer. You know, he has a great relationship with his players. I mean, he, you know, he interacts with them. It's not like I'm the boss and you work for me. It's, hey, we're all in this together. And, you know, every, you know the, the, the struggles between him and John, Jimmy Johnson are well documented. You know, some of that stuff happened with Parcells as well where you know, he wanted to keep getting in the mix and player, you know, and player decisions about who they were going to bring in and roster construction. And, you know, that probably was the, the thing that really broke those two relationships down. But I'll say this, he's learned a lot from those two experiences and the roster that they've constructed now, they have elite players at all positions. I mean, they've done a heck of a job. Him and his son, Stephen Jones, done a heck of a job with their scouting department building this roster. And there is there is some sort of disconnect at some point between the talent level they have and the production on the field, and especially production in critical situations against teams that are really well coached. I think Jason Garrett's is probably as smart a guy as you're going to have, but I just question some of the decisions that he makes and you know maybe how he operates his team and how they maybe utilize what they've built and what they've constructed there. And so I guess you know when I look at that, that there's this disconnect between the product you see on the field and the roster when you look at it and you think, wow, these, these guys are all pretty good. They should be able to go out there and put together an 11-12 win season, and they're probably going to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. And so you have to try to figure that out. Like, what is that gap? And to me, I don't know if, if Jason's not resonating with the players, if they're, they're not really confident in what they're doing on the field, but there's something happening there that, that when you look at it, it just doesn't make sense. So what do you think is going to be the fortune for this team this season if you had to bet looking into your crystal ball? Well, I think they're going to find a way to win the East. They may win the East at 8-8. Eight and eight. They may win it at 9-7. and seven. And given the way the rules are set up in the NFL, they're probably going to host – Either you know the Niners, the Vikings, the Seahawks, and the, the the worst thing that you can that you can be a, a situation when you're playing a team like the Dallas Cowboys is 
you, you hate that because they are a team that is underperforming, but they're highly talented. And you watch them put games together, and you're like, wow. When they're clicking, they're really good. Now, the problem is they're not clicking a whole lot, but they're going to be at home. And Jerry, he's not firing Jason during the season. He loves him too much. He wants to give him the give him the opportunity. So this Dallas Cowboys team makes the playoffs. I could see them making a run. I don't think that they will. But Jerry wants to give Jason that opportunity to say, hey, go get me to the NFC Championship, and that you'll be able to keep your job. Now, it's going to be tough, but they have the talent to do it, and they're going to have a home game. And we watched them play in New Orleans. They played the Saints pretty tough. Like They have the ability to go on the road and get a win. Heck, they did it last year against New Orleans. So I wouldn't rule it out. I just don't think that that's all that likely at this point in time. But you can see them making a run. I could. Shafter, if you look at the talent on that roster, man, like if those guys play well, yeah. they're as good as anybody. For one game, it's not hard, right, to see them. It's And look, we can give you the formula right now. You run Zeke 25 times, he gets going, you play good defense, you come up with a turnover or two, and there you go, victory, right? And, you, and we've watched teams do this in the past. We've watched the New York Giants come in as a wild card. like, And you, you get rolling, you get hot, you start pounding the football, you control the tempo, you get ahead, you let that pass rush take over on the other side, and then all of a sudden teams get in a chase game with you, and that is the way that they're built to have success. And, you know, Dak's been playing pretty well, I mean, but they – they're at their best when they're running the football. Even when Dak is throwing for 400 yards. Heck, he did it against the Lions. He did it against the Vikings. They lost against the, the Vikings and barely beat the Lions. They have got to run the football with Zeke. That is how that team is constructed to win because it takes pressure off of their defense. Now, for those who don't know, Bobby, uh, you have had me on your radio show every Wednesday. Uh, for the last few years, I've had a great time joining you and your radio partner, Anthony Rothman, on uh, 97.1 The Fan in Columbus. It's been a great run together. It's how we got to know each other. I never spoke to you before that. I don't believe, right? That was the no. first time that our paths crossed. But I didn't realize that after you finished your NFL career that you completed your MBA with a specialization in finance and strategy and that you now teach at the Fisher College of Business and Private Equity. Is that right? Yeah, you know, when I, I got done, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so someone's like, listen, don't just sit around and wait for it. You see guys, and they have trouble transitioning. So I'm like, all right. I a former friend of mine, first-round pick with the Colts, Anthony Gonzalez. He's like, hey, he went out to Stanford, got his MBA out there. He goes, this is something you're going to love. You, you'll you'll want to do it. You need to do it. So I just dove kind of in. And then this media thing kind of took off. And so I kind of put that on the back burner. And, and one of my friends was the uh, chair of the finance department. And I, I always wanted to teach, but I didn't want to do it every day. And I really, really probably didn't want to teach in high school. And I was doing this stuff, you know, media stuff with you. It's all fun. It's You get to talk about football, and it's great. But I wanted to try to give back and be around students. They keep you young. And so you know, she gave me the opportunity to go over there. So I, I did it last year, a couple semesters, and then started again this year. And it's been really great. I've enjoyed it. And, you know, it's it's a nice break to, from talking about football and then diving into some other issues, you know, and, and dealing with kids that are right on the cusp of the rest of their lives, Adam. You're 22 years old. Yeah. You've got a kid in college, and you're like that. You're looking at them, and they don't know anything about anything, and it's it's absolutely fun. So what's the tremendous. what's the one message? The one message that you try to impart to these young kids. And so we had our last class here this week before the final, and I, I told them this: I'm like, of everything we've taught you, I tried to give you a lot of real world experience, things that are going to happen. Um, you know, it's not always going to go your way. You know, life is a lot of you know timing and opportunity. You stay at it. Now, if you show up, you work hard. You're willing to outgrind people. And you hear all the stories, you know, like yourself and all these people's success. If you just keep showing up and keep working and doing the right things, you'll be fine. You will have success in this world because you're going to get a crack at something 
It's just, are you going to be ready to be able to take advantage of that? Because you may not know it's coming, and you may not even know that was the opportunity until it already passed. So I kind of leave that as my wisdom, as you know, hmm. the parting the class and say, go go tackle the world now, and I hope all you guys become CEOs and make millions of dollars. See, so I just want to recount this. So my first guest today uh, sings opera in seven different languages. My second guest basically has his MBA uh, with a specialization in finance and strategy and teaches at the Fisher College of Business and Private Equity. And I'm doing this podcast. I've never felt more inadequate talking <laughs> to two guests than I have today speaking to you and Justin Tucker. Well, I appreciate that. My mom, uh, you know, my parents are both from big families, and they wanted to make sure we were well-rounded growing up. I also play the piano a little bit. Do you? Um, really? Yeah. I mean, it's they used to make us do everything and make sure that we were, like, at least decent and could be able to hold a conversation, whether we're talking politics, economics, sports, music, like, you never know the situation you'll be in and the people's interests that will be around you. So try to have some knowledge base and try to do a little bit of everything. And, and so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, kind of diversified my skill set. So what do, you, what do you do as a parent, Adam? You force your kids to do all the things you hated growing up and you tell them it will be worth it at the end. Wow. So how good are you at the piano? Uh, it ebbs and flows. I can If I sit down and practice, there's not too many things I don't I can't play. The problem is now is I work just like you during the yeah. season, and you feel like you're on a treadmill every single day. Yes, so I haven't got, haven't got to play probably in the last three months. And I told my, my son this morning, I'm like, you know, you're getting pretty good, buddy. I, I don't want you to become better than me, so I'm going to have to start practicing a little so more. So he plays too, huh? Oh, I beg all. Yeah, all the kids. They uh, As soon as you hit first grade, you got to give me at least six years. And after that, if you still want to do it, that's great. But we're going to work at that for six years and develop a little bit of skill set in it, and hopefully that'll uh, hopefully that'll help you out down the road. I got to send my daughter to live in the carpenter household and force her <laughs> to take up music lessons somehow. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not always the most fun thing. My wife says I'm I'm not a very fun dad, but uh, I was like, you know, I, my mom used to tell me all the time, you'll enjoy it when you're older. You'll be glad that you have this skill, and I hate to admit it because my mom and I butt heads more than anything, but she was right. It did help and. And one of the things now I've been doing some research, and you know they, they look at the the CTE and you know the brain related age issues that you're going to have, potentially have with Alzheimer's and dementia. And people that are bilingual have a much much less occurrence of any of those issues, wow. just due to how you operate your brain. And then and part and parcel with that, people that can play musical instruments fall into that same category because it's I guess like its own language. So that's kind of my hedge, Adam, for the future. So that hopefully I'll be like fully cognizant of what's going on in my 80s. i got to be honest, Bobby, as much radio as we've done together, I had no idea that you are as worldly and as accomplished as you are. <laughs> I mean that. Well, I appreciate it. I I'm not joking. Said, it's, it's by virtue of my parents, and I didn't always enjoy it growing up. The last thing any kid wants to be doing in the spring, when you hear balls bouncing outside and people having a good time, is playing piano for a half hour every day, which seemed like it was four hours long. Yeah. Well... Like I said, I feel totally inadequate today. I really appreciate <laughs> taking the time to join us. Your, your, your school kicked my school's butt. You, you play the piano. You teach business. You got your MBA. Justin singing. I, I'm going to go bury my head in a bunch of sorrows here. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Adam. Man. <laughs> Take care, Bobby. We'll be in touch. Thanks again. Cap hit. And now we bring in my friend, my ESPN colleague, the ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan. And Evan, before we get into this week's games, week 14, uh, tell me what musical talents you have. Wow, I, I I heard some of those, and I I, I hate to admit it, Adam. I, I'm just we're just I've, I've got football on the brain. I've got I never played an instrument growing up. I can't sing opera. I can't play the <laughs> piano. 
I didn't play the flute, the violin. <laughs> Guess what? Neither my, can I. My father is a great guitar player. That is about the closest I can get to to being musically uh, inclined. All right, so Evan, we head into another huge week of matchups. There are so many places we could start. Uh, I guess we'll. I guess we should start with the fact that there are five ten and two teams, and what the importance of a buy would be. Absolutely, Adam, and it's only the second time in the last forty years that we've got five teams who have won at least 10 of their first 12 games. The other time actually happened pretty recently, back in 2015. So you've got the five teams, the 49ers, the Patriots, the Ravens, the Saints, the Seahawks, all 10-2 and two this year. And you think about only four of those teams are going to get a first-round bye. And recently in the playoffs, it has been very important to get that one or two seed. If you go back to the previous six seasons, so that's 2013 to 2018, Every team to play in the Super Bowl had a first-round bye. Wow. The last team that didn't have a bye and made it to the Super Bowl was the 2012 Ravens, who were a four-seed and ended up winning it. So as we shake out these next four weeks, the rest of the season, it's going to be very interesting to see who gets those two byes in each conference because lately that has really propelled teams to the Super Bowl where it's been tough for the the seeds and the teams who play on the first weekend uh, to get there. But it didn't stop New England last year. They had a bye, but they had to go to Kansas City in the championship. Right, game. so that's right, that's the key. You don't need the don't need the ones. Both teams were two seeds last year, you know. So I think it's just getting that bye, getting the extra week has meant a lot recently. That's not to say it's going to mean everything this year either. And I think sometimes when you've got a lot of deep teams, uh, you could have teams like the Packers, teams in the AFC like the Chiefs, who may play on the first weekend. They could certainly go on the road and beat some of those top seeds. I think what it means, though, when you've got five, ten, and two teams, we've got a lot of teams off to really great starts this year. It's set up for a lot of big games down the stretch and into January. All right, well, one of those teams that figures to have a bye right now would be the Baltimore Ravens, and they're going up against a team that I think is right in the mix of the playoffs, obviously. I think it'd be hard... I think it'd be a bit much to see them get a bye at this point, but the Buffalo Bills. We got Baltimore, Buffalo, Lamar Jackson versus Josh Allen. What do we make of that matchup, Evan? Really fun game between two quarterbacks from the 2018 draft, the first round, and this is the first time they'll meet as starting QBs, and you look at their rushing numbers, and it's it's fascinating. Josh Allen has more rushing touchdowns than Lamar Jackson, 16-12 to 12 in his career. They're averaging the exact same yards per carry, 5.83. Now, Jackson has more rushing yards, but we always think about Lamar as one of the best rushing quarterbacks in the NFL, and he is. He's one of the best in NFL history in terms of his start, and he'll break the all-time single-season rushing record for a quarterback this year by a ton. That's not going to be close. Mm -hmm. But Josh Allen leads all quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns in the last two years with 16 this is a fun game. We know how fired up Buffalo is going to be to to face a Ravens team that's won eight straight. And this uh, in a weekend where there's three really good matches. This this is one I'm really looking forward to to see how the Bills come back from that really uh, emotional win down in Arlington on Thanksgiving. It's sneaky good matchup, and Buffalo gets the extra three days of rest here to get ready for a matchup. And they probably need those three days. And Sean McDermott gets to try to devise a plan to do something that really nobody's been able to do this year, which is slow down Lamar Jackson. They do. And we've talked about it before in the past few weeks, how good this Buffalo defense is. And, and they showed that against the Cowboys. They're they're the best defense in terms of scoring in the NFL outside of the Patriots and the 49ers. And, and they're going to have their work cut out for them against Lamar, who is now clearly the MVP favorite. 
Right, one of the other big matchups of this weekend in the AFC, staying in that conference, Evan, is the Chiefs at the Patriots. Now, last year, these two teams played twice, went down to the wire in both mm-hmm. games, decided on the very last play. What are you looking for and what stands out about Sunday's matchup? A lot of different layers to this one, Adam, as you mentioned. Certainly the recent struggles of the Patriots and Tom Brady's offense come into it, uh, but you look, they're still 10-2, and two, and you... you Think about the Chiefs, and and what my one of my questions for this game is: uh, Will the Patriots defense be able to hold down Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense enough where the where Brady can score enough points to win? The Chiefs have scored at least thirty points in three straight games against the Patriots. So the two last year, which they somehow both lost, and then in the 2017 season opener, they're the only team to score three straight to score 30 points in three straight games against the Patriots since Bill Belichick became the head coach in 2000. I thought that was pretty interesting. But you think about the Patriots, they have won 21 straight home games. And I think, tell me if you disagree, but I think the result of this game on Sunday is going to shape a lot of how we think about the Patriots going forward this year. If they win, okay, 11-2. and They've had two tough road losses at the Texans and the Ravens, but they're still 11-2. and they're going to win the division. They'll have a first-round bye. They'll be fine. If they lose this game, 10-3, and let's say the offense struggles again, I think our perception of the Patriots really hinges a lot on what happens Sunday. I, I agree with that. I mean, it's really interesting to think of because if they lose that game Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, that would mean that they've lost to the Ravens, the Texans, yep. and the Chiefs. Yep. You could say three nope. premier teams in the AFC that going, they have to knock going off. To- Going to be the three teams who win the other divisions in the AFC besides, right? most likely, besides the AFC East. So that would mean they would go into the AFC playoffs having most likely, we'll see what happens uh, with the South, at, but they would have mostly lost to the AFC North champion Ravens, probably the AFC South champion Texans, and the AFC West champion Chiefs. Hmm, interesting. Well, and it's interesting. We had this conversation on Monday Night Countdown, and we all agree they're still the Patriots. They're still the defending Super Bowl champs. They're still the greatest dynasty ever built in sports history, I believe. Mm -hmm. But they are more vulnerable, and people love to throw dirt on that uh, gravestone, or what's the word I'm looking for? People love to throw dirt. Dirt on their grave, yeah. Yeah, people love to throw dirt on their grave, but we're not ready for that. We're not saying that they're done. We're not saying that. No. We're just saying that this Patriot team doesn't seem to measure up to those elite world champion teams. And this one still may win the Super Bowl. Absolutely. We don't don't know. Just saying this one is a little bit more vulnerable than some of the ones that have won the Super Bowl in recent seasons. That makes sense? Yes, it does, Adam. And they're in the midst, they're in the midst of the greatest run in NFL history. You could, you can go back to the entire Brady Belichick era, but they have played in the AFC Championship, at least the Conference Championship, in eight straight years. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's ridiculous. Think about all of the NFL teams across both conferences who would kill for one appearance in a Conference Championship. They've been there eight straight years. Remarkable. It, it, it's uh, it's incredible. Um, all right, the last game of the weekend that I wanted to bring up is the 49ers and the Saints. Great matchup. The 49ers, I feel bad for a little bit. It yeah. sounds kind of crazy. Like, they've been so good for so long this season, and once Seattle won Monday night, they fell down to the sixth seed. Sixth seed. Now, it looks like they're still going to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that, but 
it may be tough now for the 49ers to win that division. It may be tough for them to have a home playoff game. What do we think of this matchup on Sunday against New Orleans? Well, this is the final game in what, as you said, has been a brutal three-game stretch for the 49ers. Home against the Packers, they won at the Ravens last week, really played a good game, and now in New Orleans against the Saints, who are also 10-2. and And this is only going to be the fifth time uh, in the last 35 seasons that teams with two or fewer losses are going to meet this late in the season. Hmm. Last time before this was back in 2005, the Colts had already clinch a number one seed when they went to play the Seahawks. You had Bills Giants in 1990, which ended up being a Super Bowl preview. Uh, another one in 1986, Giants Redskins, which they met again in the NFC Championship. So certainly a game where we could see an NFC Championship preview Sunday in New Orleans. And, and I, this is going to be a fun one on both sides of the ball. You've got Drew Brees against that great 49ers pass defense. And then on the other side, I think this one might be a little bit of a, an overlook matchup. You've got that great 49ers running game, which was really good last week in Baltimore with Raheem Mostert against the Saints rushing defense, third best rushing defense in the NFL. I'm not sure a lot of people would have known that, would have thought that. So when when each team has the ball, things to look for. Drew Brees against that 49ers zone defense, zone coverage. On the other side, when the Niners have the ball, look for their running game against a strong Saints run defense. Evan, appreciate the insights into Week 14. Thank you for the time today. We'll look forward to the games, and we will talk to you before Week 15. Thanks, Adam. Sounds good. Special thanks to our friend, ESPN analytics guru, Evan Kaplan, for his excellent insights into the Week 14 matchup. Should be another great week of NFL action. Special thanks to my friend, my ESPN colleague, a guy that I didn't even know as much about until I did some research on him before our little segment together today bobby carpenter does a great job on the radio tv huge bobby carpenter fan and special thanks to justin tucker uh, arguably as good a kicker as the nfl has ever had i think on his way to the hall of fame one day and continues to hammer home kicks at an unprecedented rate uh, even if he doesn't like to be reminded of the rare and i do mean occasionally rare miss and thank you the listener for tuning into another adam Schefter podcast please join us again next week We'll be back in this slot again, and until then, have a great week, everybody.